Now the fun can begin. If you are new, my name is Simon. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you for joining us this morning. If you're watching online like my three boys are, I love you. Get better. Uh, They've been sick. It's been a fun Thanksgiving with sickness. So that's great. Um, We are currently in our Advent series, but before I jump into Advent, what we're doing... um, We say all the time that we are a praying church. We are a church that prays. We are a church that lifts each other's needs up to the Lord to petition Him for the things that He would do. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you an answered prayer. As we pray, it's always good for us to remember that God is actually listening, that God is answering prayers that we speak out uh, to Him. And so you guys maybe know David Kimbrell. We prayed for him last week. He was in ICU, and it was actually uh, kind of getting really touchy there for a little bit, but we prayed, and I got an email, a text message from uh, Alice, and it says this. This is kind of a recap if you don't know what's going on. Uh, Thursday night, David was taken into the hospital. Friday morning, he was moved to ICU uh, where David had uh, sepsis while in ICU. He got pneumonia and jaundice. Monday morning, he was moved out of ICU to a room on the third floor. On Wednesday morning, they did blood work. The results of his blood work was negative on pneumonia, negative on jaundice, and negative on sepsis. Doctors came in and asked him, what did you do with the jaundice? He smiled and said, you don't know how many prayers I was given. God did a miracle on me, and I thank the Lord. Thank you for all the prayers. I could have not done this without you. God bless you all. I just want, yeah, that is is to be celebrated. God is listening. God answers prayers, and I just want us to hear those things. Like, we don't just pray and go, well, whatever. God's doing stuff. So be encouraged as God is doing things. Um. So I'm going to start in a little bit of a different note today. As we move into Advent, um, this is the week of my dad's two-year passing. And so for me, it's a weird time. And I was thinking about that a lot. I was thinking about my dad. And um, it kind of made me start thinking about where we're going in our text this morning. Um, My dad, for most of my life, was not a believer. And so he didn't know Jesus, and so he is pretty much like anyone who doesn't know Jesus. They live by what they believe the world would say, this is good, right, and how you should live. Um, As a young man, I started going to church. God got a hold of my heart, and I started really trying to do the best that I could to follow God's word. And so as uh, I went through life, my dad would say, you should do this. And I'd be like, no. And he's like, well, why aren't you doing that? And I remember always saying, like, well, God's word says this, Dad, and I, and I want to honor God by submitting to him. And he would get frustrated and storm away. And we would have these little interactions like that for most of my life. He'd say, well, you should do this. I said, well, I'm not going to do that because of this. And he was always kind of didn't know what to do with that. And so I'm going to share the results of that by the end of the sermon. But I want you to keep that in your idea that There's something more that we need to press into. There's something more that we need to find our counsel in. So as we start Advent today, it might be kind of a new term for some of you. Some of you may be like, well, I don't know what Advent is, but I know that it revolves around Christmas. And so if you're new and you're like, what does that mean? Um, I want to explain a little bit about what it is. Now, it's not a command in the Bible that thou shall celebrate Advent. Um, It's not some mandate like you will or you'll die. It's just become a tradition For a lot of Christians over the years that have looked forward to the future that we have with God and what God did as he accomplished his promises. So the first thing is like, well, okay, what's what's the word Advent mean? Well, it actually helps us understand what we're doing. It means coming. But what is coming? 
See, in the Old Testament of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And he promised that a man would come, he would call him his son, that would come and make things right and bring us back to God. And we see over and over again that the Bible starts giving these little clues all through the Old Testament of this one that's going to come, who's going to be born, and who is going to be like, this is where he's going to be born, this is where he's going to be from, this is the town that he's going to be in, this is the lineage that he's going to come from. And as we get closer to the end of the Old Testament, it just gets more and more intense about this guy who's going to come and he's going to make all things right. And so... As we get to the very end of the Old Testament, it's in uh, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is where the Old Testament ends. And it says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and, and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Hebron over all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." He says that there's going to be this guy who's going to come and he's going to make all things right. He's going to turn the hearts of the people back to him and to each other. And there's going to be this healing that we have never seen or experienced before. And then nothing for 400 years. The Lord is silent after that. And all the people, the Israelites, were waiting for the advent, the coming of this man to save and to come and to bring them back to God. And there was great anticipation every year as they waited. And they waited with hope of a great hero to come and save them. See, this is the first advent. We celebrate the first advent and we call it Christmas. It's when Jesus came to us. This child to fulfill the promises of the Bible, all the prophecies of the Bible. And so Advent is a part of remembering what God did to fulfill his promise, but yet it's also anticipating the second coming of Jesus as well. So just as those first Israelites were waiting for Jesus to come, those that call themselves Christians are now waiting for Jesus to return again. And there's a, a number of verses that we could look at that would point to that. Um, Hebrews 9 Hebrews 9.20 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And you could go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. You could go to Revelation 1, 7. You can go to John 14, 1 through 3. But all of that is saying that Jesus is coming back again. He did not abandon us. He did not leave us high and dry and say, hey, I took care of the sin problem. Good luck to you. Hope you figure it all out. That's not what he did. 
He says, I'm coming back for my people. And so what we see is that we move to this messenger of hope. And this is where we're going to be for the next month. Four weeks to explore one of the prophets that talked about this coming Messiah. I spoke about this for the last couple weeks, letting you know like this is what's going to happen. But this, this particular prophet, he would give us these four different titles that have been given to this, this guy who was going to come. Now, the prophet that we're going to look at is Isaiah. But to understand what's going on, we need a little bit of context and history to understand the weight and the power of his words and what was happening during that time so we can really kind of connect to where we are today. See, Isaiah was a prophet of God around 740 B.C., and those numbers are rough because it's really hard to pinpoint those, but around 740 B.C., he was a prophet, and all a prophet is is this. It's someone who came to bring a specific message from God to his people. That's kind of the boiled down version of what a prophet is. God says, hey, I want you to tell my people this. And he's like, okay, I'll go tell your people that. That's what a prophet is. And his message wasn't really complicated. It actually was kind of clear. He was telling his people, the people of Israel, that God's judgment was coming. And it was coming for them because they had rebelled They had been disobedient, they had turned to other gods, and they had broken their covenant with God that they had made all the way back at Mount Sinai. And if they continued to be in rebellion and rejection of him, then then it would come with a cost. And the cost would be namely the invasion of the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonians. So this was more than just a you're, you're doomed, it was a call to repent and to turn back to God from their evil and wicked ways. But in that call, there was hope. There was a promise made all the way back in Genesis. There was a, a promise that someone would come, that he was going to send this king, this, this man who would come from the line of David, who would fulfill the covenant that we couldn't, and namely being that he would live a perfect life and honor God with every part of his life. His words, his deeds, his thoughts, his actions, all of that. It's the thing that we can't do, right? We try sometimes really hard, but we end up falling short. We end up failing and not meeting God's perfect standard. Well, this one was going to come, and he could do it. And not only would he do that... He would be a blessing to all the nations. And in chapter 6, we see that he has this vision and he's in the throne room of God. And all the creatures are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. And in that moment, Isaiah realizes that in, in light of God's glory, in light of his perfection, in light of everything that makes him God, he realized that he was in stark contrast to his life, that he was not worthy to stand before God, that he was broken, that he was sinful. And he hides his face, and then he realizes in that moment that it's not only just him, his entire nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were corrupt and broken. He says, how can I even do this, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm going to purify you. I'm going to make you clean. He takes a coal and he touches his lips with the coal and says, you are purified to go and take my message to my people. And after he does that, he goes to the king of that day, of that age, King Ahaz, and he tells Him that his kingdom is going to fall. But Emmanuel will come. Emmanuel meaning God with us. 
And this is going to be the shift from a broken, sinful, depraved kind of ruling, a depraved kind of kingdom, to a new kingdom that was going to come, that was under the rule of God, that it would be perfect and just in every single way, that it would be different than everywhere else in the world, that this kingdom would come and rule so much differently than anyone has ever seen. And that brings us to the chapter that we're going to focus in for the next month, chapter 9. In chapter 9, it says this, as Isaiah is having this, uh, this conversation, uh, I'm going to start in verse 2, and I'm just going to kind of read the first section. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and the battle of tumult has every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to open your, your word and to see what it means to have hope in a time where it feels like the world's a bit hopeless. That we would see you for who you are, Jesus, that you are our wonderful counselor, that you bring the truth of God, that you are the word of God. Come to bring us hope and insight into what the remedy for the brokenness of this world is, which is forgiveness of sins through you, Jesus. Lord, if there's areas where we need to submit and surrender to you today, that we would do that. If there's areas where we are not seeing you as our wonderful, wise counselor, that we would repent and turn back to you. That if we are feeling hopelessness, we would hold to the promise that you gave, that you would bring your son to save the world, and you did that. So now we can trust you that when your son comes a second time, that we will be here. Holy Spirit, is anything that's from me that is not from you, take it from my mouth, take it from my mind and my notes, and I ask that you would be glorified this morning. We love you. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen. So this passage that shows this man as our king who is going to rule the nations, this new Jerusalem, the way it's supposed to be ruled, that he will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that his rule will spread to all nations. What he's saying is the entire world will be under his reign. He'll be born like everyone else. He will be a son given to us, the son of God. And the government, that means all authority, will rest on him. And what is the name of this man? His name is Jesus. This is all about Jesus. He has many names to, that he's described in the Bible but the four that we'll look at are going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so each week we're going to look at one of those titles and explore those. 
So today we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor. And as we do that, um, all I really want to do is kind of break the word down. I don't want to get too out of control, but we've got two words there and they combine to make one really important word. But wonderful, the Hebrew word that's used is explained this way, of extraordinary nature making it mysterious or difficult to comprehend. That's the word that we have here. Now, if I can be just honest, words have seemed to have lost their powers as the decades have ticked by. Would that be a fair statement? It's, 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 I, I, I love my children, but I just say, the words that you use now don't even make sense. They're half abbreviated, they're mumbled words, and I don't understand half of what you're saying, and they just say, Dad, that's okay, you're just old. And I'm like, and your words are dumb. And that's where I really land with that. But if we think about words and losing their meaning and power, we can use the word wonderful in a lot of different ways, can't we? That word can be used, in, and so I, I said, what are uh, words that are synonymous with wonderful? And what I pulled up was this, nice pretty, lovely, delightful, enjoyable. That's kind of where wonderful is now. And wonderful can be really watered down and not have meaning. And what I want us to understand is this. Words are important. Words have meaning and words have value. And I can't think of any other time in history where it's so important that we understand the words and where they come from. And the question that we have to ask is then, who gets to define these words? Well, we have lots of words that are unbiblical words and whatever you can say cool and hot and whatever that means, they can mean the opposite of whatever it is. But when it comes to God and words that God uses... He is the one who gets to define what those words mean. We don't get to change them because we don't like them or it's too much for us. And we need to make sure that we understand what God says a word means is what the word means. To be full of wonder means that it is hard to understand. It it means that there's some kind of mystery behind what we're trying to figure out. Um, You ever see a magician doing card tricks and they start guessing your card and you haven't even looked at a card? And you're like, how'd you do that? There's a sense of wonder where you're like, I don't understand how they know my card. I don't understand how they made this thing appear or disappear. And so we wonder, like, what is going on with that? I don't get it. I'm trying to figure it out. It's not easy to get to the bottom of it. That's what wonderful means. It means that you will strain your brain as hard as you can trying to figure it out. And if anyone's ever gone to college, you know what the straining of the brain means. You're like, I'm straining my brain to understand that. And even then, you still may not get it. That's what the word we're talking about. But yet this is the word that describes Jesus as wonderful. That there is something wonderful about who he is. And think about this. The Bible gives us all sorts of information on Jesus and how he lived and what he did. And we've got a lot of stuff here, right? I mean, this is, this is full of the life of Christ, especially the three years where he was doing ministry. We have all this information on what he did and where he went, who he healed, all those things. And we can go, wow, we've, we've got a really complete record of Jesus. Well, that's inaccurate. We, we have what we need, 
about Jesus. What we have here is the things that he did, but he did all these other things, all these different healings, all these different miracles, all these things that actually are not recorded because there was so much happening. And the writers are like, well, I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get this one. But it kept happening. He would go to a town and he would heal hundreds and hundreds of people. In John 21, it actually says this. At the end of uh, John, so this is John's account of the life of Jesus. And he's kind of reflecting it. And as he ends his letter about who Jesus is, he says this in 21 uh, verse 25. Now there are so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. See, we just have a glimpse of what he did. We just have this, we're just scratching the surface on who Jesus is, what he did, the miracles he performed, the wisdom that he spoke out to others, and how he truly saved us from sin by dying on the cross. This fraction of understanding this God-man, it can be humbling at times. See, we need to understand this. Like, Jesus is like us, and he's not like us. He is 100% man, and we're like, I get that. I understand the humanity side of that. But then he's also 100% God. I don't understand that because, well, I'm not him. I don't have that ability to comprehend those things. We don't have a category in our tiny minds for that. And that's the point. God, you cannot understand God completely. You can't ever plumb the depths of all that there is to know about God. It's too wonderful for us to know everything about God. It's, he's so wonderful that when we go to be with him for forever, for eternity, that won't be enough to explore all of who he is. That's why eternity is not going to be boring. Because we're going to be continually understanding more and more of this God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, to bring us hope and to bring us peace. That is the beauty. If you're like, I'm going to be bored. No, you won't. No, you won't. There's a lot to do, a lot to learn about, about our Savior. The other thing that I, I, I poked into, and, and different translations have different ways of saying this, but um, I lost my place there. In Isaiah 44, uh, 13, it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel? The, uh, this translation says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what has man shown him as counsel? It's the same idea. It's a rhetorical question. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. No one has known the mind of the Lord. Not one. And so when we're talking about Jesus being God, we can never totally understand the totality of all that he is and all that he does and all that he says. His understanding is on a different level. The other part of this word is counselor. Now, many of you, when you hear the word counselor, you think about uh, the guy at high school who says, don't do drugs, and here's how you go to college. Maybe you're thinking of that individual, and he gets paid to do that. But counselor in this definition means someone who gives advice about problems. We'll come back to that definition in a few minutes. But it's someone who brings wisdom and insight to a situation that you're unable to understand. In Kings, it's really interesting. Uh, maybe you know the story about King Solomon, um, wisest man that ever lived. And so uh, he had favor with God. God says, anything you ask of me, I'll give you. 
And he could have said, I want money, I want power, I want all the... He's like, I want wisdom. And God said, because you asked that, I'm going to bless you greatly with all these things. And he has this wisdom that came from God. And he's so wise, it says this in 1 Kings 4.34. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth, you had heard of his wisdom. He was so wise and so brilliant, had such understanding of things, that people from all over came. They're like, we want to hear this wisdom that you possess. The, no one speaks like you, no one thinks like you, no one talks like you. We've never seen anyone like this before. We don't understand, like, how do you prosper? How do you thrive? And he would come and they would ask him questions and he would solve problems all the time. Was it him? No. He was given a supernatural gift from God to possess this wisdom. And so the wisdom that he's imparting is just the wisdom of God. Oddly enough, you'd think the most wise man in the world who understands truth and how to apply it to their life would just probably be perfect. You should read about King Solomon and some of the really foolish decisions that he made through his life. See, we know that kings and generals and presidents, they all have advisors, don't they? They all have counselors that come and help them to make wise choices to keep them from getting themselves into lots of trouble. Throughout the Bible, the word counselor shows up over and over and over and over again. Kings and pharaohs and Caesars, they're always looking for insight. They're always looking to understand. They're always looking to grow. Why? Because we don't know it all. We have such a fraction of an understanding in this world and how it works. See, we're even called to seek out wisdom at different times. Proverbs uh, 11, 14, uh, Proverbs 12, 15, Ecclesiastes 4, 13. Those are all areas, where and I'm just scratching the surface on that. Like, go seek wisdom. Go get counsel. The fool says, I don't want wisdom. The wise man seeks out counsel. And we're called to seek out counsel in that. But if we take these two words and we smash them together, wonderful and counselor, we have something truly amazing. We have Jesus, the one who is God, who's wonderful, but he's also our wonderful God who is our counselor. Now, if you start to understand what's being said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? So he's talking about what I say is true. Well, why is it true? In the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus. He is the tangible, living, lived out word of God and everything that he did. So when Jesus comes and we say he is our counselor, he is the one that brings truth because he is from God and he is God. So that's what makes him who he is. So his counsel would probably have a high position of authority, would you not say? That, that's really who he is and what he's doing. See, this king that was promised, that was full of wisdom, has the ability to speak into all parts of our life. Every area of our life he can speak to because he is the author of life and he knows how everything works. Now, I don't know, today the way cars are made, usually you just have to like plug it into like a computer and you can fix your car. Um, I grew up having to work on cars because, well, I was poor and I wanted my car to run. So I learned how to fix cars uh, the best that I could. And so I wrench a lot and, uh, you know, I like to smash my hand against the frame of a car when the ratchet slips and just, I did that last week. And so it just happens, right? But 
how do I fix that car? I need to know how the car works. I need to have some kind of guy. I need a YouTube video. I need someone who's a mechanic. A lot of us go to mechanics because they understand it. There's one other person you could go to who would probably be even better. Who would be the person that would understand that car the best? The one who made it. The engineer, the developing team. Like, if anyone knows how that car is supposed to function, it would be the engineer team and the designer of that car. They know exactly why they picked that metal, why they put those joints there, why they picked those bushings. They know the tolerances. They know what it can handle, what it can do. They can tell you why using these particular brake pads will be bad for you and you'll die in a fiery ball of flames, why you shouldn't use those. All I'm saying is this. If I wanted to do it right... If I wanted my car to run well and fix my car, I would go to that individual if I had that ability. All I'm saying is this. That's who Jesus is. He is the designer of everything. He made everything. He knows exactly how it works. He knows exactly how it should function. He knows if you do this, it won't go well. And if you do this, it will go well. He knows what it means for every part of our lives to work. And this is the wonderful counselor that we have that came. This is, I love you enough to tell you truth. So if we take our original definition of counselor, we see that this advice that we seek about is a problem in our life. Well, what's the problem that Jesus not only knows and can identify and can solve? See, he doesn't just give us advice on a problem. It'd be like, well, here's some advice. He solves the problem. problem is sin. It's always been the problem. It's the rebellion that Isaiah was addressing to his people in Israel because they refused to listen to God and to trust him. He was calling them to repent of their sins and to turn back to him because like the way you're going is wrong and it leads to disaster. Turn back to me. See, it's sin that caused the separation in the beginning all the way back with Adam and Eve. It separated us from God, and God is the source of life. So when that sin came, it severed life. And this brokenness is killing us physically. I mean, it's just been a lot of death, it feels like, lately. And as I think about my dad, I'm like, we, I was there. I watched him put him in the ground. There is a physical death that happens in this world. We can't deny that. But here's the thing. The physical death isn't the worst, because that's only for around 100-ish years, Right? if you're lucky. But there's this thing called a spiritual life, and that goes for eternity. Which one do you think bears more weight? See, it's the spiritual side that is the problem that has to be taken care of. It is worse. It means that we are removed from God for forever under his wrath if we are in rebellion against him. That's the problem. When Jesus came, he stepped into that wrath. He took it. He bore our penalty because we couldn't bear it. We didn't have the ability to withstand that. But he can and he did. And he tells us that the only way to be with God is one way. I alluded to it earlier, but John 14, 6 through 7, it actually says that very thing. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you continue a little bit more, he would say, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And he says to the disciples, and you go, I just think that that's just, you know, it's just not nice to sell someone they're wrong. 
Like, you do you, I'll do me, and if we all kind of land in the same place, that's great. It seems like Jesus is just kind of mean. He's mean-spirited. Like, why would he tell me I'm wrong? Like, I'm me. I'm great. I'm fantastic. Why should I change anything about me? See, we kind of chuckle, but we also know we've heard this from the world, haven't we? We hear that all day long. And it's not that Jesus is mean. It's not that Jesus is unkind. He's actually bringing some very sound counsel, isn't he? Because of Jesus' love for us, he gives us this counsel. If he did not love us, he would let us skip off to hell with smiles on our faces. See, it's hard to understand this wonderful counsel because here's the thing he sees all things and he sees the ending he sees that the bridge is out that you're driving towards at 80 miles per hour and he is saying stop don't go any farther it is dangerous for you see we would we would say why didn't you warn me on the other side of eternity wouldn't we why wouldn't you warn me it seems unkind that you wouldn't warn me See, it's unloving to not tell someone the truth. And that's what Jesus said, I love you so much, I will tell you the truth so you will know what's coming and what's happening in your life. See, our wonderful counselor tells us what the problem is, sin. He tells us how he solved it, his sacrifice on the cross, and he offers it as a free gift to anyone that would call on his name. That's what he's done. In Romans 5 It tells us this, 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We've been justified by putting our trust in Jesus, not ourselves, not our wisdom, not our counsel, in His. And as we light the candle of hope, He's saying, there is a hope. I came to save you. We know that there is a glory beyond today. For those of you that are in this spot of feeling depressed, feeling broken, feeling downtrodden, this is temporary. There is a hope for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This is not the end. We can rejoice knowing that we have this hope. See, we were separated, and now we're connected. See, when Jesus came, he took care of the problem. See, it doesn't stop there, though, does it? See, Jesus takes care of the sin problem, the separation problem, the justification problem. But he continually speaks into our life. He's not a counselor that just takes off. He is with us always. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And he has given us his word. Some of you wonder, like, I just don't hear God talking to me. I don't hear God speaking to me. I don't know what God's saying. And my first question is always the same thing. How much are you in your Bible? Why would I say that? Because this is where wonderful counsel comes from. This is where truth comes from. Jesus speaks to all these areas in our life because he understood every area of our life. See, my dad, 
was watching me my whole life. And he was always wondering why I made the decisions that I made. We don't always understand at times what that looks like when we make these decisions and we say little things like, well, the Bible says this, Dad, and I want to I honor God. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you, but I just want to do what God says. And over the years, those things started to happen. And I got married, and then I had kids, and then God was just doing a lot of things. And so my dad was watching me, and I didn't realize it. Every time I would say, I want to trust God, and I want to do what God says is best, my dad was watching and waiting to see what would happen. He wanted to know that my life lined up with God's word, and he wanted to know if living this way had any kind of difference. And I remember the day distinctly. We were having this conversation, and I was saying I was moving someplace else, and he's like, Simon, I do not understand why you do what you do. But then he said this, but I will tell you, I have watched the decisions that you've made, and I have watched how God has blessed you and Annette over all these years. And though it's not the decision I would have made, there's clearly something different that's happening. And I believe that that was the moment when my dad started becoming open to hearing more about God and talking about God and having conversations about God because my listening to my wonderful counselor was a witness to my father to see who I was and who I truly submitted to and what God was going to do with that submission. We don't understand all that's going on in the world and how God is using those things, but he is. See, we have his word to guide us and to know him and to trust him and to speak to us. My question today is this. Will you trust in his counsel? Is there an area where you need to turn from listening to your counsel or the world's counsel and you need to listen to God's word and repent? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this text. I thank you for being our wonderful counselor. I thank you for being our God, our Savior. Lord, I ask that as we come to you now with more worship, that if there are areas that we need to repent of, if there's areas where we need to submit to you, if there's areas where we already know what your counsel is, but we've been rejecting it, that we would turn to you. Lord, let us be men and women that show the world what it looks like to follow you, to trust you with every aspect of our life. Lord, we don't know what they're seeing and what they're doing. I had no idea that my dad was watching me to see what that would look like. But you did. You knew that that's what he needed to see. And that's what you used to save him when he came to you on, on Easter. Lord, I ask that you would press into us this morning. That we would talk, that we would take away hope from today. The God who keeps his promises. The God who speaks truth to us because he loves us. And that we would worship you. We pray this in your name. Amen.